0: bar heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning together as family. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for giving us perspective that lasts, that delivers, that sanctifies, Father. We're just so grateful for all the goodness in our lives, the uh, result of your grace giving. Motivated by your loving us. Father, we pray for those that can't be here this morning to enjoy this time with us of fellowship. We pray also for those that are still lost without hope. We are most grateful and thankful for your son's work, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His work on a cross 2,000 years ago to cancel out that debt. Make a morning like this a time to rejoice in. So happy, Father, so content, so peaceful. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. All right. Part 67. We're not going to get to that until the very end because we've got some review still trying to tie up loose ends, bring it all back into perspective. On Thursday, we enjoyed a review of this past month's curriculum up here in the board at North Christian Church. And this is just one of those months that there have been, you know, a lot of moving parts. And I always enjoy when the Spirit takes this time to sort of bring it together. Let's Step back for a moment as a congregation and just take a deep breath and say, where have we been? And so there have been, there were seven parts of that The Other Side of Grace mini-series. Uh, we had a Resurrection Sunday special. We had blogs on the search for peace, the sphere of God, a grateful heart is a blessed heart. And then we had a message on the supernatural fruit of patience. And then on Thursday, we had a month in review. That was the name of the message, a month in review. And so we reviewed this in greater detail. Um, and so the Spirit really asked us to ponder what the key elements have been over the past month. And that's a wonderful exercise. That's why, you know, if you do take notes, you know, don't just take them for the sake of taking them. Look at them. Or go to the website and say, where have we been? Like, just go to the Homepage, and look. All right, say load more. It'll usually bring up six. Load more. You'll get three more. You know, three, and you can you can see, and it kind of helps bring it all together. Um, and so he asked us to ponder the spirit did the key elements over the past month. I shared what I had taken away from it, just stepping back as the pastor here, which included encouragement for good deeds not just good words, a beckoning us to abide in the sphere of God experientially. In other words, don't just make it about this future residence in heaven. Really think about the now, because it's available. A reminder that true peace can only be found in Him. Practically speaking, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then finally, a life lived with gratitude is a blessed life. And that's what I got. Those are the major themes. You know, the capstone up here on the board, though, was this. This is real. This is real. Don't make times like this. Don't make times reading your Bible. Don't make them academic. Don't just say, oh, you know, I'm doing my duty. It's academic. I'm learning. Really? the right way to say it. Really let it sink in. Let it become you. Spend some time meditating on it. I'm not talking about that Zen Buddha stuff either. I'm talking about meditating the way the Bible talks about meditating, which is take some, some quiet time for yourself. Put your phone away. Take your smart watch off. Take your earbuds out. Like just you and him. Go for a walk, just you and him. Don't bring any technology with you. Shake off any concerns from the day or the week or the month before and just say, I'm really going to think about what God's doing and has done in my life. Because this stuff is real. It's not meant to be just learned on a Sunday morning and be inspired for an hour. It's supposed to sink in. This is real. Being a believer in Christ isn't supposed to be some ethereal hope that we cling to while we melt away down here on earth. Being a believer in Christ gives us fortitude, strength, power. It makes us resolute, firm in our faith, able to stand up against whatever this world throws at us which if you've been alive for any period of time is a lot. Amen. It's a lot. And if this these things don't become you, you're still laid bare, you're open, you're unable to stand up, your faith will fail every time. It has to become you. Do you understand? It has to be cemented in you. It can't just be this academic exercise or these momentary times of inspiration on a Sunday morning where you've got somebody just pelting you or feeding you, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm so inspired because I'm being fed this amazing meal. And then you walk over the threshold and it's like, huh, back to business as usual, I guess. That is a massive mistake I am convinced most so-called Christians make. Times like this are just, you know, more of the same. It's been a while. I guess I'll make my way back to church now. I kind of need a little, you know, a little squirt, a little dose in the arm. Just need a little booster. Do you know what I mean? That person is still in bondage. That person doesn't receive the kind of peace the Spirit's been teaching us about. This is real. It should be, your relationship with Christ should be the most important thing in your life. Hands down, nothing's even close. Everything comes after. It's not everything and then Jesus on a Sunday morning and you might feel inspired. It's Jesus... And then everything else in life. Does that make sense? It's Him first. You have to... You've been made new in Christ Jesus. You have, you're rich. You have everything available to you. Why would you put that last? Or second, or even third, or fourth? Why wouldn't He always be first? That's a, a complete mindset. Mindset. That Jesus is first, and then everything else. As we abide in the sphere of God, we enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And this fruit is real. It's real. Again, that's what I gleaned from this past month's messages. Again, up here on the board, the curriculum looked like this. The other side of Grace, seven parts, Resurrection Sunday special, Search for Peace, Sphere of God grateful heart is a blessed heart and the supernatural fruit of patience." So, here's the highlight reel from Thursday's A Month in Review message. On the topic of patience, from the message on the supernatural fruit of patience, we had this up here on the board. This was sort of the takeaway. A patient person is a sanctified person. A patient person is a sanctified person. On the topic of gratitude up here on the board from the blog, a grateful heart is a blessed heart. The more humble and repentant you are, on a daily basis even, the more you will abide in God's precious love experientially. Grateful heart Is a blessed heart. On the topic of the sphere of God, from the blog up here in the board. This was the situation that the Spirit put before us. Very simple. The sphere of God, trust me. Why should I trust you? Because I love you. I mean, I don't know about you, but if if there's any cause whatsoever for trust in my life, the person I'm going to trust the most is the one I think loves me the most. Is that fair? And there's a continuum, right? Because a person who truly loves me is not out to hurt me, is not going to take advantage of me, is not trying to manipulate me. Because they love me and they want what's best for me. I have people in my life like that They seem to be far and few between, because most people, let's face it, are selfish lovers. It's usually, what can you, Ed, do for me, and I guess I'll love you for as long as you do that thing for me, which is a subjective love, which is a possessive type love, which is a manipulative type love, which is an unhealthy love when you get right down to it. And so if you want to talk about trust, it comes down to love. Does this person love me? Enough even to put aside their own demons, so to speak. Do they love me enough to get over themselves, even? To do as Jesus commanded? Love someone else more than you love yourself, even? Do they love me that much? Will they lay down their life for me? Well, who is the pinnacle? The Lord. He certainly did that thing. For me so if i'm going to trust anyone if you're going to trust anyone you trust him because he loves you more than anyone else here even can or ever will so if you're going to trust anyone trust him that's the sphere of god i want to be in that i want to be in love that way in love in the sphere of love in the sphere of God, all the same statement, all the same. the sphere of God is tantamount to the sphere of love since God is love, First John four: eight. If we trust him, we ought to take advantage of his invitation to enjoy the supernatural peace that by the way, has coexisted between the three persons of the Godhead for all of eternity. It's an invitation. It's not something new. He's not saying, I'm going to spin something new up for you. He's saying, I am peace. I am love. You're welcome to come join us, the Godhead. That takes trust. Up here on the board, your joy is intrinsic to your abiding in the sphere of God's love. Not so happy this past week, dragging dragging you behind around a little bit, are you? Complaining, feeling sorry for yourself, melodramatic, conjuring up old friendships, old loves, worrying about it, being weighed down by it. Where's your joy? I'm pretty sure God doesn't want you focusing on that stuff. I'm just pretty sure of it. Like Solomon said, you know, the wind blows, right? Things come and things go. Amen? But the Lord remains. And so does that invitation. On the topic of peace from the blog up here on the board, the search for peace. There's no reason to fret over the difficulty of finding peace. However, there's only one way we can ever be successful in this quest. It begins with humility and is sourced solely by the Lord. The search for peace. It's there, it's pre existed. Humanity, even. It's not a novel concept. But there's only one way to get there. On the topic of uh, Jesus Christ's resurrection, from the message itself up here on the board, Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, is the proof that he overcame death itself. Death had no hold on him. Therefore, he is victorious over it, as are we being baptized into union with him at salvation. And that just assures all the things that I just taught. His resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. On the topic of the other side of grace from the message series up here on the board, we had this self-induced misery. It's when we think we have the right to demand such things as permanent blessings that we place ourselves in bondage to poor expectations. Hm. We think we have the right to demand such things as permanent blessings that we place ourselves in bondage to poor expectations. That's self-induced misery. That's a person who is predominantly focused on receiving stuff, blessings from God. That is their modus operandi, to use a military term. That's why maybe even they come to church. They're like, I'm feeling a little down, had a rough week, so I think I'll just go to church and get my little booster shot. Right? Right? I'll listen to the bald guy for a little while, I'll get get fed a a meal, I'll be inspired for a little while. Um, That's that mindset. That it's about, I only want to go grab stuff out of the cookie jar when I need it, when I'm hungry for it. Do you understand what I'm getting at? That's not Jesus first and then everything else. That's everything else and then Jesus when I need him. Jesus is, in that person's life, the rebound guy. I turn to him whenever I need him, but when things are going well, I don't really need him. So I say. All of that results in self induced misery which i have fought tooth and nail for on your behalf faithfully from behind this pulpit for years to have you delivered to see you delivered from that kind of bondage in your life i don't want anybody in here to be in that kind of self induced misery strictly speaking we should we should be perfectly fine, you ready? I know some of you are like, oh, may it never be. We should be perfectly fine never receiving one more blessing, temporal, blessing in our lives. And say, and still live a life of gratitude. Hasn't he done enough? Hasn't he done enough? Amen. If nothing else, as has been the case for over a decade now from behind this pulpit, the emphasis from the Spirit has been to step back and focus on the big picture. So a lot of this leads us right to that big picture. let us I always use the word transcend, but that's the same idea. Big picture viewpoint, godly viewpoint, transcendent viewpoint. Let's look at what's really going on, right? If you get stuck in the weeds, you kind of get bound up and, emotions and everything else. If you just step back for a moment and, and release the tendrils, if you would, to worldly and earthly things, you're able to elevate and look and say, what's God really doing here? I mean, what is salvation? Honestly. What is salvation? He doesn't just save us once. He saves us daily. So what is salvation to me? And So the Spirit's been saying for over a decade now, step back and look at the big picture. Stop trying to, you know, straddle the fence, so to speak, along the way and be all in because that's what he says. He goes, you, you might get glimpses of it, but until you're all in, where Jesus is first until you 're here you 're probably not going to see that big picture it's going you 're going to be befuddled by it. I think I get what that bald guy's saying, but i don 't know it's not happening in my life it's well it's because Jesus is second, third or fourth in your life that 's why it's not happening you 're still in self induced misery you still think you're pulling the wool over god 's eyes by playing that game right where you you come to church, you get inspired a little bit, and then you just go right back to your life. And the supposition there, which is wrong, is that somehow you're you're going to be delivered from that misery while playing this game. And that's why you can't see the big picture, because once you see the big picture, I know people that are hearing my voice right now and are zoning in, and they know exactly what I'm talking about, and they're the same people who have been set profoundly free. Profoundly. If you talked to them five, ten years ago, they would have been stuck. But now they're profoundly set free. Why? Because they made a decision. They made a decision to, to be all in, to put Christ first and see that big picture. And all of this goes back to my opening comments about this past month's messages (laughs) that it's not just words. Even as I say it, even as some of you think words in your head right now, you might be going, Yes, amen, yes, I get it, I want it. Right? You're just gum flapping. It's deeds. Even when no one else is around, it's deeds. Like when I said, I didn't just say that as a windbag, I hope. Shut off all your technology, go for a walk and be with God. That's a good deed. No one else has to be there. You can hide out under a tree. You bring your Bible maybe, but you'd spend some real time meditating with God. Outside of that thing you call life, That keeps you in bondage because of all your habits and your routines and all your so-called responsibilities that you've piled up on yourself over the years. And boom, boom, boom. You just can't get out from underneath it. And you expect to transcend? You can't even breathe. Because that stuff is oppressive. Let it go. Do you understand what the Spirit's saying? Let it go. You will never get there. I promise you that till you get from out from underneath those lies that all that stuff that you've piled on on your life actually means crap, means anything. It's all a lie peddled to you in 30-second bites called commercials. You want to talk about the TV again, anybody? You're laughing but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every 30 little every 30 little seconds bite. Boom, 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 boom. Lie, 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 uh, 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 uh. It's like a jackhammer. Boom, 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 boom. And what do you do? I think I'm going to listen to some more lies. On my phone this time. Cuz I have unlimited bandwidth to the inter disgusting web. Right? Watch YouTube. What are they, Anybody notice what they're doing with YouTube now? You can't watch YouTube by itself. You get commercials. You don't just get to watch YouTube anymore. There's like a 15 second commercial in the beginning. They stop you right at the, you know, you're like, oh, 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 buy this soap. What? Right? You're like, whoa. You follow what I'm getting at? Boom, 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 boom. Throw that stupid thing in the trash. Just tell me where you threw it so I can sell it on eBay and make a little profit. (laughs) Because those things are expensive. We pay a lot of money to put ourselves in bondage. Just saying. right? Deeds, not just words. Don't just be inspired on a Sunday morning. This is about your life. Not mine. Your life. That's what God is looking for. And not just so you know he can somehow judge us when we don't do good deeds, but rather so he can bless us. Imagine that, which is why we find so much wonderful encouragement on the Bible on this topic up here on the board, Ephesians 5:10 to 11. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That would require. Some form of communication with Him. Probably some form of meditation. Some form of quiet time with Him. This is not your quiet time, by the way. So if this is your quota for the week, you are sadly mistaken. Okay? You are sadly mistaken. This is not your quota for the Lord. Hardly. This is boot camp. This is training. This is where you learn. Where, you know, even when you're you're stuck, you're stuck in front of me... And sometimes it's enforced learning. This is not your quota. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I don't know what that is in your life. I have ideas, I have general characteristics that the Bible, but only you know. Only God speaks to you personally. But how would you know? Seriously. Let's see. I could spend some time with God or I can watch some YouTube videos. How's that discerning what's pleasing to the Lord? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What do you think I just did? Nobody wants to hear about it, but that's exactly what I just did. That's why people don't want to hear about the TV or the smartphones or the internet or any of that stuff. That's exposing darkness. Go to Colossians 3.17. We noted this on Thursday. It's the funniest thing. everybody wants freedom, amen yeah, well, then walk out of the prison cell. I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to tell you how to do it, but 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 but, I'll be leaving my t v behind oh, okay, I guess you're not ready' but, 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 but I'll be le- oh man I ah, come on, come on, come on, do I really everybody else is doing that's my favorite that one almost makes me want to run my bald head into a wall. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding you. Whenever anybody says that to me in any circumstance in life, I feel like running into a tree. Yeah, well, everybody else is doing it. Oh my goodness. What the heck does that have to do with anything? Everybody else is an idiot. You pretty much know this by now, I hope. So why in the world would you justify stupid decisions that keep you in bondage because everybody else is doing it. It is literally like the worst criteria you could possibly ever use. And people do it all the time. Well, everybody else is doing it. This is how everybody else is living. This is how everybody else is raising their family. This is how everybody else is trading off spouses. This is how everybody else is Working and cheating to get ahead. This is how everybody else is doing it. Nobody else pays their taxes. Nobody else does it right. Nobody else does it that way. Nobody else actually does it in a godly way. So why should I? I mean, I'm just like you know, it's the, it's the same old thing. It's like, hey, look, everybody else is driving 90. We'll get out of the high speed lane then. Everybody else is drive. I gotta drive 90 and the cop's not going to pick on me because there's three guys in front of me and three guys behind me, he have to pick one out of seven. I'm at pretty good odds. I'm just going to keep driving 90 and break the law. Right? Nobody? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is breaking the law. Oh, does that make you, does that make you feel better? Does that allow you to sleep better at night? everybody else is doing it what do you think why do you think so-called christian churches that don't actually that aren't really interested in the truth are packed on this morning because everybody else is doing it everybody else is listening and abiding in a lie everybody else is doing it's why i chose the big church because everybody else doesn't care about Jesus, not really. Everybody else wants to maintain their life and put Jesus third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Everybody else here does it that way. That's why I don't go to that ball guy's church, because you don't get a breather there. You don't get a chance to make excuses. People there seem really serious about Jesus, if they only knew, just saying, Maybe you're more serious than them, but there's a reason why these messages exist, right? So don't get cocky, okay? Right? It's not about that at all. Colossians 3:17. Whatever you do, does it say some things you do? No. Whatever. That means everything. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Any questions? How about 1 John 3.18? Go there. 1 John 3.18. How about that? Everybody else is doing it. My goodness. That almost infuriates me. Is that out of... No, that's not really. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think that's out of whack or not, because I know I'm right, based on Holy Scripture. You're following what everybody else is doing. Something's wrong. Just saying. 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let Let me read that again with you. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Any questions? Up here in the board, everybody's favorite from the last month, I think. Transcendence. We are children of the holy, sovereign God of the universe. We ought to act like it. Not sure why that's such a big deal, but we ought to act like it. Think about that. We're God's children. You Think about that. We're out and about with God. Like, that's dad. Hey, there's dad. Right? Should we be acting like morons? Should we be saying, but dad, everybody else is doing it. And you know what dad would say, right? If everybody jumps off a bridge, would you jump? Right? You know what I'm saying, right? We're his child, who cares what other children are doing right if you're if you 're a parent, you know exactly what i 'm talking about because that 's a lot of times your kids come home and say, "But everybody else is doing it, their parents are letting them do it. so their parents are idiots. What do you want me to say? Look at them now, fast forward, look at them now. What do you got? Nine times out of ten. Train wrecks. Why? Parents didn't have any integrity. Look, we're children of God. We ought to act like it. That concludes our highlight reel from Thursdays, a month in review. Again, up here on the board. That's what it looked like grace, resurrection, peace, fear of God, grateful heart, patience. Again, Here's a review of my thoughts appear in the board from the start of this message on what the Spirit's been trying to say or impress upon us lately. And just food for thought. You should have your own thoughts. I am convinced there are certain things that the Spirit has said to you over the past month that He didn't say to me. Convinced of it. And you don't have to, I, I know this because people share with me. And I say, you know, I never, I didn't, I never thought of that. It didn't occur to me. It does not, you know. So... This is just to prime the pump. Again, encouragement for good deeds, not just good words. A beckoning us to abide in the sphere of God experientially. A reminder that true peace can only be found in Him. Practically speaking, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a life lived with gratitude is a blessed life. Again, the capstone up here on the board, this is real. Do not internalize this academically only. Being a believer in Christ isn't supposed to be some ethereal hope that we cling to while we melt away down here on earth. Being a believer in Christ gives us fortitude, strength, power that makes us resolute, firm in our faith, able to stand up against whatever this world throws at us, which is a lot which is a lot. With that said, we've got to change gears. We need to rejoin where we left off before the seven-part miniseries on uh, the other side of Grace kicked off. Remember, we were in a part 66. we We're on This is part 67 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. So we're trying to get back. We had a little month hiatus with all this amazing stuff. And you know how the Spirit works. The the, the the bulk of that stuff is somehow going to resonate through our curriculum as we go on. He's going to use it somehow. He's prepared us now with a month of goings-on. And I'm always excited because I never know exactly how he's going to use it. But bet your bottom dollar, he will be using the substance of this past month. And I don't know what to say if you've been on hiatus yourself, and you haven't been keeping up. Well, guess what happens when he goes to use it? You miss out. You miss out. And therefore, it's just another proof point of why you're miserable. But anyways, we need to rejoin, okay? Starting with, perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. Remember where we left off in verse 6 of Proverbs 17? It was about family. And you have to have the right perspective because the world tries to give you its perspective on things like marriage and family. Well, everybody else is doing it. Look at Liz Taylor. Everybody else is doing it. Look at, look at the Kardashians. Everybody else is doing it. Look at you choose. So if you, if you take on the world's perspective on the critical Institutions of marriage and family, you lose every time. So perspective is everything. Up here on the board, even worse, poor perspective guarantees poor living. I'll let you chew on that one while I have my tea. Why is it so quiet? I don't know. Probably because you're chewing on it, and you know what the Spirit's getting at. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. Now, I was thinking about that. As far as the Bible is concerned, if you're a believer in Christ, you are rich! Not poor. You might be poor by world standards, but that's a different story. But if you're a believer in Christ, you are rich. So, poor living, to use the point on the board, poor living seems like an absurd thing to accept as status quo in your life. Doesn't it? So the Bible tells you you are rich beyond measure. Why would you ever live poorly? Doesn't make any sense. You are rich in Christ beyond measure. Why would you ever live poorly? Poor perspective. That's the only, I mean, it doesn't, your perspective doesn't change the fact if you're a believer that you are rich, right? No. It doesn't change the fact, but it can change the experience. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. So let's grab some encouragement from holy scripture on just how rich you are in Christ Jesus. How about that? In case you need a little refresher course, go to Philippians 4:19. Philippians 4:19 cuz some of you are feeling a little poor right now, right? And if 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 Finances even come into your head, you literally miss the whole point. It means you're still thinking worldly. All right? So let's get some encouragement on just how rich you are in Christ. Philippians 4.19, Paul wrote, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches. Okay, we're going to get back to that. In glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's read that. Verse 19 one more time. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches. In glory in Christ Jesus. So this really sets the stage for this little mini Side note on encouragement, on how rich you are, how blessed you are, how wealthy you are, have been made as a son or daughter of our Father in Heaven. This statement, according to his riches, it sets the stage. The word translated here, according to, is interesting and it begs a little further investigation. Maybe the best way to explain this in context is with an analogy, so listen up. Because understanding that little phrase is going to come from this. Suppose a person has $10 million. They give $10 to a need in the church. we might say they have given from their riches. But if that same person were to give, say, $1 million, we might say they have given according to their riches, $10 from their riches. A million dollars according to, in accordance with, their riches. Does that make sense? In other words, it's parity. There's a certain parity there. All right, now, just think of how wealthy God is. Okay? It's unfathomable, right? Lydia, that's for you. Inside joke. She was making fun of me because I couldn't say the word unfathomable. Remember that back in the Gospel Reload? It like haunted me every time I said it. Hey, you guys are laughing. At least she's listening to it. Some of you are like... Right? According to, with parody... How rich is God? And what's the passage say again? Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches. doesn't say from His riches. It says according to His riches. And He's loaded beyond anything we can even possibly fathom up here on the board, to drive it home. According to his riches, God is infinitely rich. When he gives, he gives according to his ability to give. Whoa, wait a minute. This is like off the charts then, right? He doesn't say he just gives from his riches with some finite value. He, it says he gives according to his riches. With parity to his riches. Whoa! If you know anything about math, not to nerd out on you, but if infinity were 10 million, the 1 million would be infinity as well. Because any portion of infinity is actually infinity. You ever get that? So God is infinitely rich. And he gives according to that richness. Which means that his giving is also what? Wow, there's one nerd, infinite. The rest of you are still like, how does this work? Carry the one. I'm not picking on you, I'm just having fun. Right? It's infinite. It means his giving is infinite too. If the well is infinite a portion of that well is also infinite. That's the point. God is infinitely rich. He gives, when He gives, He gives according to His ability to give. A good example of this is a miracle. That's outside. That's why we call it super natural. It's outside of things we can even fathom. It's outside of our brain's ability to even grasp. That's why we call it a miracle. That's one good way of thinking about God's inf- God giving according to his riches. We can't give salvation. We can't give life. We can't heal on our own. The best we could ever be in that any of those situations is to be somehow involved in the process. But God's the only one with the supernatural power. He might impart it, but it's he's the source. Do you get the point? He gives according to. And therefore, a miracle is a great example of it. So what does this mean, then, in terms of our perspective? What does it mean? If God gives according to His riches, what might we conclude for our own perspective's sake? Well, we ought to never ever doubt God's ability to take care of his own children. Minimally. We ought to never doubt his ability to take care of his own children. Let's read some encouragement. Go to Matthew 6.30. Matthew 6.30. How rich are you? That's what we're on. How blessed are you Well, when dad's God and he's infinitely rich and he gives according to his riches, well, that makes you infinitely rich in ways you can't even fathom. How about that? That's how rich you are. Matthew 6.30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of what, little faith? This is the absurd part. Because it's not like the blessings or the riches aren't there. It's just that you have, oh, little faith. But that's what makes it absurd. Let's read on. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Remember, God gives according to his riches. We might even paraphrase by saying he never undergives. He doesn't come up shy. He's not like, oh, you know, like when you used to go to your mom or dad, and they, maybe they really wanted to buy you an ice cream cone, you're like, oh, man, I got a nickel. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, something like that. He doesn't have, there's no, he never undergives. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, you focus on seeking the kingdom. God will take care of the rest Trust Him. Have faith. Because we just learned, He gives according to His riches. That's what the Bible says, right? We literally just read it. So you don't need to focus on that. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Therefore, keep your eyes on the now. Tomorrow's going to happen. Unless you die, you know what? You ready? Drum roll. Tomorrow's coming. And you can't stop it. And all those little things that you think are so haunting, God scoffs at them. So it's just that change of perspective, right? Change of expectations even because poor perspective always leads to poor expectations which always leads to disappointment so instead of you living a life of disappointment maybe you just follow along maybe you live for the now and trust god who's infinitely rich who gives according to his riches maybe you just do that instead maybe that'll lighten the load i mean maybe jesus wasn't lying when he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Maybe he's not a liar after all. Imagine that. It just takes a little thing called faith. Even mustard seed, right? A little thing called faith. It's your choice. Again, here's the principle that instigated our reading these encouraging passages up here on the board. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. And so what did we just learn? In Holy Scripture, it's plainly stated we are hardly poor. We will never be poor again. Amen? Never. You might say, oh, I only got $3 in the bank. So what? What does that even matter? In many ways, you're blessed. B- money's a burden. Money, I don't know if you haven't figured that out from the Bible yet. If God gives you money, he gives you responsibility. If you don't like responsibility, then don't seek to have a big bank account or a lot of money because it's a responsibility. Do you follow what I'm saying? So in some ways, in some ways, he's alleviated that burden from you if you don't have a whole lot of money. Your job then is just to trust in him. He doesn't do that for everybody, by the way. Some of you are like, oh, I'm so glad he prospered me. But are you, though? Because you seem miserable. You seem hyper-concerned about all the details that now you have to worry about because you've got money. I remember the day, I I know people have money, and they're like, I I think I liked life more when I was struggling. I'm not advocating it either way for the record. I'm not advocating either one. I'm not saying you should be poor, you should seek to be poor financially, you should seek to be rich financially. That's up to God. What I'm saying is accept what he's given you, and just know that it's not always a blessing if you're the one that he's given money to, because now you have responsibilities. Does that make sense? It's about attitude. It's about perspective. Whatever you want from me, God. And all of that, not for naught, that was a little sidebar, doesn't mean crap. The only thing he's looking for is faithfulness. You're a faithful little thing, therefore I'll make you faithful. He just wants to know how faithful you are with what you've been given. Right? Remember the ten minors and all that stuff, the, the parable? That's all he cares about. It doesn't matter how much. It's just, what have you done with what I've given you? That's a show of attitude and perspective and good living and good deeds. Think of the widow's mite, right? Good deed. What is what have you done with what I've given you? That's more about your attitude, your perspective. But beyond all those particulars that have to do with the details of life, doesn't matter where you fall in that continuum. You are rich. You are very rich because God gives according to his riches. And who's he give to? You. That's the perspective we ought to cling to. Honestly. Don't waste your time or energy believing that Bill Gates or Oprah Winfrey, both who have publicly denounced Jesus Christ, by the way, are rich. Don't waste your time or your energy. Without Christ, they are poorer than the poor. Poorer than poor. And the return on investment that they've made while here on earth couldn't be more pitiful. Couldn't be more pitiful. Spend all that time and energy. And trust me, I work in technology right and i hear stories of the stories how how smelly bill gates was because he slept under his desk for three days while he was developing the first windows uh, operating system and people are like hell bill gates how is under the desk going to compare how is that sacrifice going to compare to hell he's supposed to be a hero that's pitiful you mean you you exhausted yourself for nothing? You did it without Christ? So that what? You can denounce him till the day you die? I hope he doesn't. Someone just shut the lights off back there. Till the day you die? What's going on back there? It's actually distracting me. Is Anthony back there? Oh, the circuit breaker popped. That's pitiful. That's the whole point. You put all that time and energy into something that has a zero pay, worse than zero payout. Because at least while you're still alive, you have a chance, right? Once you're dead, according to Scripture, that's it. There's no second chances. It's appointed a man to die once, and that's it. You follow? So don't waste your time. Is there anything wrong with temporal wealth? Is there? No. Not according to the Bible. Not at all. But it's like I said, you've been given a responsibility. If you have it, then you're responsible to it. And God wants to know what you will do with it. But that's between you and the Lord. There's nothing necessarily wrong with temporal wealth. Not at all. So I'm not advocating one way or the other. And don't you either, because that's a trap. Because what I hear is poor people say, oh, see, I'm, I'm more holy because I'm poor. And I hear rich people say, I'm more holy because God's blessed me out. So obviously I'm more holy. And both are wrong. Dead wrong. One should never oppress the other. That's disgustingness. It's gross. It's gross. It shows insecurity, it shows lack of understanding, and lack of faith. Is there anything wrong with temporal wealth? Yes or no? No, say it, please. Thank you, nothing. Anything wrong with being poor? Now, why, is it, why is that one easier for everybody to say, though? No, I'm, I'm very serious right now. Why is that one easier to, to say, honestly? Why? Because you've been ill-trained. That's why. Because you want that to be true. You follow what I'm getting at? It has nothing to do with any of that. That's the whole point. That you take and you put over here as some kind of instance of a test. That's all it is. With or without, both sides are a test. That's it. It has everything to do with your perspective, your desire to do as we learned at the start of class. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Did you follow him getting that? Did he give everybody 10 minors in the parable? Nope. He gave one person one. So you've got to get that out of your system. Take all of that that the world says when you're doing this, Right? Almost every time I've been on YouTube, some dude with no shirt who's ripped says, you want to know how I make a million dollars a week? No shirt? You know you can't buy a shirt? You make a million dollars, you can't buy a shirt? Now I got to look at your bare-breasted nipples and everything else? I don't really care, you bald freak. You follow what I'm saying? You probably spend it all on Nair. You follow what I'm getting at? What's wrong with you? You don't know, get that? Like, why do I? I don't care. It's nothing to do with that. But that's the world sucking you in, right? You want to be a millionaire on the, the cover of GQ? Oh. Ay, 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 ay. Right? Wealth in the absence of godliness is nothing more than a trap, a burden, even. Go to Matthew 13, 43. I've got to pick a spot here soon. Probably not going to get through it all, but that's cool. It's all good. Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to, and buys that field. All that he has. What's the point of this? Should you go sell everything and look for No. It's a parable. Parables usually have one key meaning. In this one, it's a comparative one. In other words... If we are to compare all that is in the world with what we gain with God, there's no comparison. That gives you your perspective, right? That gives you your perspective. You don't have to go through selling everything that you own to learn this perspective. That's what a parable does for us it gives us perspective. What's the perspective? Add up everything that you think you have in this world, because it's all borrowed, anyways, it pales in comparison to what God can give you. End of story. You'd be willing to sell everything you've got for that thing. Of course, salvation's in view. But you get the point. This is something that King David wrote about, especially regarding the sin of covetousness that can arise with wrong perspective. Right? Because I could make that mistake. Hey, I want an 18-pack in a million dollars right? I want, I want that guy's life. I want this guy that's all excited, who's got it going on. I want, I want, the, I want the commercial. I want whatever's in the commercial. I think if I use ivory soap, I become a supermodel. Right? What's the next one? If I drive this car, ladies will love me. If I, if I do my hair this way or my nails this way, my husband's going to love me more. Listen, if your husband married you for your looks, you married the wrong dude in the first place. Fair enough. What else? I don't know. I'll just keep going, right? I'm trying to make fun of the covetousness that the world always puts in front of us. Don't you wish you had this? Don't you wish you had that? Don't you wish you went on vacation here? Don't you wish you were eating this over here? Don't you wish you were drinking this? Don't you wish you were doing this? And it's always, don't you wish? Well, buy my product and you can have. Well, if I've got to buy your product, then I've got to work more. If I work more, I can't even go to church. I'm too tired to read my Bible. You, you follow? Satan's not stupid. Psalm? Did you, did you go to Psalm 37 yet? All right, go there. So this is something King David wrote about, and let's see if I'll close there, probably maybe just a couple more things. Psalm 37, King David. <clears throat> right? And by the way, King David was really rich. Like, you know, he's a king. So that's the beauty of having someone that has those things that you covet in the world, that most Americans covet, you know, like Bill Gates and Oprah, who are billionaires. That's what most Americans are chasing after, right? Striving after the wind. King David, from his position, could actually denounce it and say, yeah, don't bother with that. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, I'm king, but I think I'd rather not be unless it was pleasing to the Lord. You get my point, right? It's a burden. Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. And what? Do good. Trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Any questions? Commit your way. Oh, there's the C word. Some of you are like, no. I hate the C word. Commit. I don't commit to anything. It it scares me. Well, that's why you're miserable. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He gives according to His riches. Commit your way to the Lord. All in. Did we not start off that way? All in. Commit your way to the Lord. Don't be a gum flapper. Commit your way, not your words. Your way, your walk. Your life. Romans 12. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7. Love it because I think about Jesus. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Drop the mic, right? Be still. Wait patiently on him. Commit your way to him. Verse 7 is such a beautiful summary of what the Spirit's saying here this morning on the topic of wealth and perspective So when you live with proper perspective you are blessed daily all day every day and as one of our recent blogs stated a grateful heart is a blessed heart a grateful heart is a blessed heart i'll finish with this the real practical side is living in this godly perspective Not just understanding it, not just in word, but in deed also. That's the practical side. And that's the, that's the, that seems to be the final frontier for most people. As they get, they learn, 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 learn. They're completely convicted, but it might take them a little while to commit. Right? Because that commitment, it's a big deal when you think when you put into what it actually is required of a person's life to commit to the Lord to be all in it means it implies you can't have all the other stuff that you're currently frolicking in to commit to him it's it's basically like a marriage vow i vow to be your spouse lord i vow to be faithful to you, Lord, I vow, I commit. And all I can tell you from years of reading the Bible very closely is that that's when you're blessed. That's when all the magic, it's like all of a sudden I, I'm in love. I committed to him. He's my husband. I'm in love. Do you follow? That's when all the magic happens. I'm in love with a perfect man. I'm in love with the Lord. Amen? That's the key. I'm in love with him. The rest of the world could go to hell as far as I care in a handbasket. You following getting that? I don't care if I'm rich, poor, east, west, north, south, upside down, standing on my head, spitting nickels. I don't even care. I just know that I'm in love, head over heels in love with the Lord. Not this. I love the Lord. Don't ask me why I turn into a Southern Baptist. I love the Lord. Right? With my mini pearl. Get out of here. Phony. Fake. You're in love. In the sphere of love. That's what it means to commit. And when that happens, all of a sudden you start walking. You start living. Life is good because now you're in love. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible time to study your word here this morning. We're so grateful, therefore blessed. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we do take the things we've learned here back to the privacy of our own souls as we meditate on them, back to our families. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.